Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. So what are you supposed to do between each Engadget podcast? Wait in silence? I'm Matt Smith, and every morning I walk through the day's biggest tech stories. It's short, relevant, and ready for listening whenever you wake up. Find Engadget Morning Edition wherever you find your podcasts, or ask your smart speaker for the latest news from Engadget. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Engadget Podcast. I'm Senior Editor Devendra Hardwar. I'm Reviews Editor Sherlyn Lowe. Today, we are diving into the wild world of NFTs, or non-fungible tokens. You've probably heard a lot about them over the past few weeks, uh, but they seem to be reshaping the way the digital economy is working, especially when it comes to art, and that's going to be a fun conversation. As usual, you can subscribe to the Engadget Podcast on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's super helpful, and you can always reach us at podcast at Engadget.com. We typically do a live stream on Thursdays around 10 a.m. Eastern, so you can join us for the live chat and conversation around that. That's always a fun time. Let's move into NFTs, and to help us break all this down, we have a special guest from Engadget, our own in-house financial guru, Dan Cooper. How's it going, Dan? Hello. Uh, It's going very well, and thank you for having me. I like coming on for my sort of annual trot out (laughs) to come and see you all. We just bring you out to get your add some class to the show. I feel like that's always good, right? Pretty much, although I'm very annoyed that there aren't canapes and classical music playing. Dan, I will ask you first up, uh, because NFTs, non-fungible tokens, this is a topic where when I first started reading about this and seeing the news break about this, I felt like cheaty in the good place as they were explaining the Jeremy Baramy thing of just like, this is the one new topic that just absolutely broke me and broke my brain and just made me feel like I, I am out of place in this civilization. What are NFTs? Can you tell us what is going on with them? Okay, so I'm going to, you're probably going to get uh, emails uh, from crypto people <laughs> saying, oh, sure. you're doing it totally wrong, but I'm I'm going to pitch this at people who don't know, like you, Dev, who don't know what an NFT is and probably don't know what a, a crypto I don't know is. anything, Dan, so please explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. So an NFT is essentially a way of making a something that can't change the uh, the the name itself is a non-fungible token and Mm -hmm. a nice way of explaining it is basically to explain that a bitcoin can be chopped up in the same way that you can split a dollar into change a bitcoin Mm -hmm. can be broken up into smaller chunks and handed around because fundamentally you're not you're not there kind of holding on to the coin, the dollar, the Bitcoin, anything else. It's not like that one coin holds any special meaning for you. Like, Dan, one quick step back. Go on. What is a Bitcoin, by the way? Because <laughs> everyone's also talking about NFTs and blockchain. Kind of how does, how does it relate? Because I feel like this okay. is one continuous story from the founding of blockchain to where we are now. So Bitcoin was this grand attempt to create a secure decentralized form of money. Um, Mm -hmm. And the idea was that 
you would create these coins. The system that was built would create these coins called Bitcoins, and then everyone would hook their computer up to run this network. And the idea uh, in the great sort of original founding was that it was a it was a form of money that governments didn't mm-hmm. control and. Um, pretty much there, no one controlled. Everyone just signed up with their computer and it was a, a free world for everyone and there were no right. banks, there was no uh, exchanges. One Bitcoin in the US was worth the same as one in Argentina. You could move money around without any um, real uh, cost and this grand utopian ideal sort of founded because a lot of people realized that you shouldn't really use Bitcoin as a method of exchange because the value Mm. as more and more people bought in, it became more and more like a store of value, like gold rather than dollars and cents. And so Bitcoin certainly um, over the last year, I think a lot of people have been stuck indoors. They've had spare money. Maybe they've got stimulus checks and they've been trying to do something useful with that money. And so all of a sudden Bitcoin has gone from uh, a very crazy valuation. It goes up and down. Mm-hmm. Now it's close to $50,000. I think it's gone past and back <laughs> through $50,000 per Bitcoin a couple of times in the last few months, which mm-hmm. is which is mad given that it didn't exist 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, well, no, it was 2009, right? Which is when Good the uh, fabled Satoshi Nakamoto uh, basically created this thing. But also the key to Bitcoin is the blockchain, right? And all these pieces of the puzzle kind of get us to NFTs. Explain what the blockchain is, because that to me seems like the key innovation here, because it doesn't matter what you care about. Like you may never want to have a Bitcoin or buy or sell things with Bitcoin, but I feel like the blockchain is the core technology that is enabling a lot of new things too. So the blockchain is the thing that a lot of other business people have been interested in, a lot of industries have been interested Mm -hmm. in, because it's this idea, it's called the open ledger. And essentially it is a long string of data and every transaction that takes place on the Bitcoin currency is added to this long, single public document. Now, mm-hmm. think of it like a spreadsheet that everyone who's able to can access and look at. And every transaction, you can see person A um, sent money to person B on this date. And whilst you may not know who person A and person B are in the real world, you can see where the money is going, what's happening sure. to it. And the idea is, firstly, um, it's the sort of complexity necessary to make Bitcoin safe and secure, but also it's this idea of making every transaction public. And so mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. if anything goes wrong, people can immediately scroll back through. You know, um, a couple of months ago, Twitter was hacked and yep. um, some people ran a Bitcoin scam through Twitter. Loads of people on Reddit and everything else were immediately scanning through the blockchain, looking for where the money was being funneled out of those wallets um, uh-huh. that people had paid money into. So in that regard, there's a lot of interest for cross-border mm-hmm. financial transactions, for asset tracking for businesses, even for, uh, you know, people are saying about using the blockchain for government. The one yeah. thing I'll, so, I'll so, kind of segue yeah, go, into go mm-hmm. is that NFTs is this idea that you can create a contract, a sort of a binding contract that mm-hmm. sits on the blockchain and creates this this single piece that then can be analyzed and looked at in public, if you see what I mean, mm-hmm. but also can't be messed around with by Interesting. Anyone. So the blockchain was kind of this idea, too, of 
basically uniting the best of credit card data, digital transactions, and the freedom and power of cash. How does that get to NFTs? You know, because these are basically digital objects that we're talking about right now. These aren't like, this isn't like trading cards or, or physical art or something. Now we're talking about digital art. We're talking about tweets. We're talking about a clip from, an, you know, an NBA game or something. How did we get to here and what exactly are the NFTs? Uh, what do those represent? So the the original idea was that you could create contracts as NFTs. Mm-hmm. And what happened certainly in the last couple of years was this idea that you could tie something that was digital, something that was ephemeral, and you could tie it mm-hmm. to an NFT and say, well, actually, this is the one version of this digital ephemeral thing that is more real. And we'll probably come on to this, but there's a certain level of a, of a sort of a grand delusion behind it. Yeah, yeah. Which I'm sure we'll get what to. What is I'm reality? Sure. <laughs> what is reality, Dan? What is more real when it's digital and everything is bit for bit the same? I don't... Ah. Yes. Yes. That is, yes, that is, that is essentially it. Part of it comes down to... You know how um, a t-shirt company in New York decided that they would just put they would they would copy Barbara Kruger and they put a logo on a t-shirt and they said to everyone sure. um this is worth way more than we'll sell it to you and it became this thing where everyone would queue up I'm talking about supreme but I don't want to annoy the hype beasts don't, um, mm, mm. Uh, and <laughs> and essentially um through purely just putting something out there and saying this is valuable Mm-hmm. People now, like Supreme is like half owned by a giant luxury hedge fund or something. It's absolutely yes, crazy yes. the amount of money. Mm-hmm. NFTs are a bit like that. It's this It's this idea that there can be a JPEG of a piece of digital art and they can be infinitely copied and there's no generation <laughs> loss or anything else. Like if, if, I, if I take a picture, if I take a selfie and I put it on Twitter or Instagram – uh, you can copy that a thousand times with no generation loss, but the one that I attach to an NFT is meant to be more equal than all of the others. All images are equal, but we're going to pretend that the one tied to an NFT is the one that's the original, <laughs> even though it's not. <laughs> okay. Listen, um, we're talking a lot about NFTs here too. This is not exactly a new thing. Over the past few years, we have seen art and crypto art become a thing. I think CryptoKitties was the one that kind of got really, not quite mainstream, but certainly got a lot of headlines. And that was like, what, 2017? How did CryptoKitties get us to here? And what, yeah, what is the best analog for that? Is it, is it like trading cards or Pokemon cards or something? It is definitely Pokemon cards or Beanie Babies, something that has no, I mean, I guess... I guess a Beanie yeah. Baby does have a, a, a small inherent value because you can give sure. them to small children or animals and they can cuddle them if you dare take them out of the packaging, obviously. Um, but with Crypto Kitties, the, the nascent idea at that point was you buy um, a, a digital cat and then you buy another digital cat and you breed them. And eventually <laughs> the digital cat that you breed from the digital cats you've bought will hopefully be more valuable. It'll be more popular, more powerful. And then hopefully you'll be able to sell that digital cat onto someone else who wants to then breed that cat. You you know, Dan, as you're explaining all this, 
I just want to jump into a volcano. You know, I just want to like be lifted off of this planet. What are you talking about? <laughs> Do you know what? As 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 much as it sounds like I'm anti NFTs, there is a yeah. noble goal here. There is there is a there is a the gem of something quite valuable, which is the idea that digital artists who Ever since the the birth of the internet, really, creative artists have struggled to monetize their work properly. Sure. Because, mm-hmm. um, and, and as the technology's improved, it's become a lot easier to devalue art. So, for instance, a CD, you know, a 600 megabyte CD was enough to kind of compress into three megabyte uh, MP3 files and then push through LimeWire or Kazar or, or Naps or anything else. Now that we've all got, um, you know, iPhones and broadband, you can do the same thing with a with a two or $300 million movie and you can get mm-hmm. a, a, you know, a compressed but still high quality version of that if, you know, you're unscrupulous and you pirate it and everything else. The idea of this is essentially to say, well, yes, you can pirate this piece of art you can right click and save and and keep it for yourself Mm -hmm. but this is a way that you can pay the creator of this art and if you you know if your heart's in the right place and you want to buy the new kings of leon album instead of listening to it on spotify or apple music or tidal or anything else then you can buy the kings of leon album and say to your friends look i i paid fifty dollars for a kings of leon album you can stand uh-huh. stand in the middle of the freeway and say very proudly yeah. guys i paid fifty dollars for the new kings of leon album you were no that makes you the guy and one of my favorite memes it's just like the guy alone at a party that's just yes. like saying <laughs> I paid $50 for this Kings of Leon. Everyone else is having fun because they streamed it for free. But he's like, I got this for 50 bucks. It's great. I One thing I want to say is that I agree with Ben. Uh, we keep saying Ben Dan, but these sorry, are just like three-letter male names that end with N, so I apologize. But <laughs> the thing I agree with Dan on is like the benefit this has for artists because I, I remember one of the things I saw is this TikTok of this artist explaining how she finally made like three thousand plus dollars sure. off of selling her original artwork as an NFT and like to Dan's point like people can keep making copies of these but what you're really selling here is the certificate that verifies that you have the original even if the idea of an original is kind of weird mm-hmm. on the internet but like you have the one that the artist deems it the the one so that's i guess worth paying money for in the in this sure. age and the other thing though is when we were planning this episode we were talking about this devendra is who gets to decide which one's the original authentic one mm-hmm. right it's, in some cases in art it's easy right because the artist gets to say it but in cases where there's celebrities involved where there are brands involved it gets trickier doesn't it dan it does and it's it's a very messy complicated situation i was speaking to an artist actually and because i i didn't know this myself and essentially uh what i didn't realize is that whilst um the buyer of a painting you know like an old-fashioned painting the buyer Mm. of that painting does not um get the copyright to that painting in in most cases and so as a consequence the original artist can if they so wish uh, make a replica of that original painting and sell right. the replica on as well, and it's the honor system that essentially keeps that from happening because they know fundamentally it will it will devalue their own work and, and ruin their reputation. But essentially, even in the traditional art world, what you're buying is not the the is it is it um, the first sale doctrine ownership mm. rights as as in the US whereby you don't get to profit from the work that you've bought you can you can enjoy it and you can sell it on but you don't get 
all of the bundle of rights that ownership normally conveys. I guess it puts a little bit of the power to in the buyer because the buyer decides also who they want to pay. Like if say if say the NBA for example and a player both put up NFTs of the same moment in time, let's say Michael Jordan's first slam dunk ever or something. I seriously just sorry, sports analogy is not my thing. I I apologize in <laughs> advance. But let's say both of them put that up, right? Who are you going to mm-hmm. buy an NFT from the NBA or Michael Jordan? It's kind of well, up to you or is it do you go to the that- cheaper offer or yeah, I, I feel like there's that's a lot of a whole rights thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. and but here's the thing too. Like I've talked to, and now we're getting into the point of like, why should you care about NFTs? Because I do feel like as a lot of this news has kind of hit us, it's easy to just be like this, this stuff. Like I'm gonna just wrap up this story in a bow and throw it away because I don't, I have too much going on in my life. I do think like it is worth thinking about when it comes to artist rights, like we're talking about here too. But I've also seen a lot of digital artists explore like how this on the face of it seems like a good thing, but also this is just immediately bringing us into the world of like uh, speculative art markets and stuff too, like things where it's just rich people who just want these new shiny new things to collect and grow value. Like they don't care about the fundamental power of the art or anything. They don't care about the art. They care about the value of the art. And we're just kind of jumping right into that market. Is that a potential concern, Dan? Because it does seem like this is where we are at at this point. That is a big issue, and I think mm-hmm. um, for the 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 big story that I've that I've written that's going up on Engadget.com today. Thank you. Um, Good plug. It's very smooth. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I've spoken to some some investment analysts and, and people you know who work at an investment funds, and they've said that one of the key drivers to this is everyone's hoping to get in at the start because exactly. they've they've yeah. missed yeah. they've missed the bitcoin bubble they've missed the the ethereum bubble they've got money um it's funny when we talk about this because um there's so much sort of inequality right now mm-hmm. in, in in a lot of countries where people you know they're not able to find work because of covid and you know they're living hand to mouth frequently they're going to do you have food banks in the us or you know like sort of goodwill oh, yeah. places yeah um and yet you've got a whole group of people who are so desperate to kind of get this big investment that they are plowing money into digital art in the hopes that being the first is likely to net them big. And, and ironically, that's already happened. Um, mm-hmm. There's a digital artist called Beeple who um, sold a, a digital painting, a little video clip uh, last, I want to say November, I should have uh, written down the notes, but he sold this, this little... Um, uh, video clip last year, uh, a guy bought it for six, $66,666.66 because, of course, they did. And uh, they sold it last month for, I think, uh, $6.6 million. Okay. So already you've got All people right. um, throwing money at this in the hopes that within the next five or 10 years, they're going to mm-hmm. be able to retire on crypto art investment money, really. Gotta love it. One other thing we have to mention here when we talk about anything crypto and anything related to the blockchain or even digital currency is the environmental impact. And this is wild to me, okay, because uh, when Bitcoin started, right, people were just uh, the whole the whole power of that platform, right, was that you were basically uh, harnessing computing power to generate uh, to actually generate Bitcoin. And that was something people could do with their home computers and whatnot. But over the years, 
as things got more complex and the actual uh, the actual blockchain grew right and became harder and harder to render you can't do that on your computer anymore you need specialized equipment you need servers all that stuff requires electricity all that stuff requires natural resources um and it seems like like we are just seeing uh some crazy figures here uh i saw a post uh saying real time figures from the cambridge Bitcoin electricity consumption index showed that Bitcoin accounted for 0.4% of the world's total electricity consumption and uh, 0.34% of the world's total electricity production, which that sounds like a small thing, right? It's, It's a fraction of a percent, but that is a lot when you think of the scale of the world and the fact that all this stuff is... It's it's just like fake digital money. Like it it is it is just an entire thing we're creating uh, to yeah add value, um, create value to a currency basically. Like it, it is a thing we're building out of thin air. But in a time when we're in a climate crisis, where you know we've had multiple warnings that by 2040, if we don't do something to stop our the 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 rate of global warming, we're doomed. It seems insane to me that we're burning fossil fuels for for fake money. To contextualize that just a little bit more, sorry, but just just to give that even in more yeah, like yeah, understandable yeah. terms, uh, according to an NPR report that we we read, uh, an artist estimated that generating six NFT pieces consume more electricity than their entire physical studio did in two years. That's nuts. Mm-hmm. That is that's, crazy. Uh, that's a post from Joni LeMercier yes. uh, called The Problem of Crypto Art. So go go read that. But it is, it's astounding. It's it's kind of wild. Um, I think it's one thing if this was a purely just like, hey, we, we're just making this digital stuff. It's not hurting anybody, right? We're creating this market that we're just making a value. Some artists are getting money. It's not hurting anybody, except it's kind of hurting everybody, right? Do you know, I'm going to give you a long answer and it's going to be very even-handed, for which I apologize. But I think we need to be very clear about a couple of things. A lot of NFTs aren't running on Bitcoin. They're running on Ethereum, which works a little Mm -hmm. bit differently. But also, Um, it's still a major power. It is still still a big issue because both um, the technology or the system that underpins uh, the the Bitcoin blockchain and the Ethereum blockchain essentially requires hundreds of computers or thousands or millions of computers all plugged Mm -hmm. in solving, um, essentially brute force solving difficult equations. And then the one that does it fastest essentially gets a cut of the transaction. You mint a coin, you get a physical reward. And so as a consequence, the incentives, um, were at at several points great enough that Bitcoin speculators could actually go um, and like rent a 747, like like an old military 747, fly to Taiwan, pick up a 747's worth of graphics cards, and then Uh fly them air freight to Iceland where the, Mm. um, the energy, the geothermal energy was cheap enough that they were yeah. hoping to get a reward. And you say to yourself, that is monstrous. And the, the stats say now that Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin's energy generation as a whole is, is more than the country of Argentina, okay? Mm-hmm. Which is bad. And I don't think, I don't think anyone um, would say that it's a good thing. Bitcoin's boosters would say, well, actually, um, the global financial system uses a lot more energy Although the global financial system also does things like run banks and has insurance yeah. and 
yeah. you know, has customer service. And if you lose your money um, with a bank, they will at least try and get it back. Whereas with Bitcoin, you're on your own. So it's very different. With Ethereum, the price is pretty much all the... The amount of complexity tied in is tied to its value, which is tied to how much power it uses. So it's not as exponential a growth curve as it is with Bitcoin, but it is still a mm-hmm. problem. I think the last time I checked, which was this morning, um, someone was calculating that Ethereum's annual emissions is about 25 terawatt hours a year, which is crazy. That's that's enough to that's power it, crazy amounts. And... Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the thing that, that crypto arts backers will say is that actually crypto art only accounts for about 1% of those transactions. And oh, yeah. It, this is, this is, I'm being even handed. They say it's yeah, a yeah, small yeah. amount. And um, the hope is, is that Ethereum 2.0, which has been coming now since the start of 2019, yeah. the hope is that it will eventually come by the end of this year. But who knows when it will actually arrive, but it will change the way that the the blockchain is administered, the system underpinning it, to one that's mm-hmm. a lot less uh, energy intensive and one that won't reward the burning of energy so much. The other thing to I say, I hope so. Is, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there are there are other blockchains out there. Um, Flow, all the other ones have escaped me. I think IOTA, but they use a, a different system that essentially uses a sort of random number generation and and other calculations based on how much money you've sort of got in the system. Mm-hmm. But it means mm-hmm. that the overall energy consumption, it's still consuming energy, but it's going to consume a hell of a lot less energy than Bitcoin and Ethereum. So yeah. right yeah. now, you have to sort of really think whether investing in crypto art is worth it in the same way that you should when you invest in cryptocurrencies because mm-hmm. there is an environmental cost, there is a power cost. Yeah, it's a moral consideration now. It's like, yeah. uh, it's almost as if you're like, I'm gonna invest in coal-fired power. You know, like I'm just gonna put my money here, and you are essentially doing that because that's the vast majority of where the world's energy comes from. Like we still rely heavily on fossil fuel energy. It would be one thing if we had like perfect solar energy and renewables, right? And like people were just kind of siphoning power from there. I think that's an even greater argument. Uh, but yeah, I just this this is the part of this whole story that really just makes me angry. Can we move on? Let's talk about some examples of NFTs that we've been seeing. We talked about some NBA examples. There's NBA Top Shot, which is this uh, the service by the NBA that is essentially selling short clips of games um, similar to trading cards, except you you own that clip and aren't you special? Well, you don't own the yeah. clip. I mean. This is the thing you you own you own a copy of the clip with a serial number, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. there are multiple serial numbers attached to each clip. So you are one of maybe I think a hundred people or fifty people who own the clip, and well done you. And then you can sell that clip on people. Um, people have already started selling clips that they bought for tens of thousands of dollars for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's likely to continue. Um, I spoke to, um, in, in writing this piece, I spoke to Jack Settlement, who um, is the founder of Snapback Sports, and he and his friends uh, clubbed together to buy a very famous LeBron James dunk. And they bought number serial number 23 
um, which is which is James's squad number. You can tell I'm not a basketballist. I'm sorry, we don't have basketball in England. Um, and they their plan is to sell that for uh, one million dollars to LeBron James himself, because fundamentally they know that that if LeBron James buys it, he can then sell it on to whoever the hell he wants for millions more than he'll buy it. Because the idea is that actually when you have someone, when you have LeBron James selling you a, a, an NFT, that's going to be worth a fortune 10 or 15 years down the line, is the, is the hope. Why would you buy an <laughs> NFT from someone who bought it from LeBron rather than paying more to buy it directly from LeBron? Because you missed out, right? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it should be more valuable if you bought anyhow, but there's more examples. There's yeah. been more examples uh, of NFTs, right? Jack Dorsey, famously this week <laughs> or this past week, I guess, his first tweet ever. Yeah, he's um, he's. Well, I I don't know whether he's actually planning to sell it because the offer mm-hmm. two point five million dollars has been there for a while and he doesn't seem to have accepted it. Maybe <laughs> he's just doing it for show. But someone has agreed. Someone has bid $2.5 million to own the NFT for Jack Dorsey's first tweet. Um, Grimes, I wonder who that is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Grimes, Grimes and their brother um, did, a, did a, a crypto art sale. I think they earned $5.8 million mm-hmm. in like 48 hours. And, um, and Beeple, um, who I mentioned before, uh, is doing a, an auction with Christie's. I think the Christie's auction is... is running through crazy amounts of money right now. And then the creator of Nyan Cat sold a... a Nyan Cat. Nyan Cat, Dan. It's a British way of pronouncing it. Let him him do the British way. It's not not Cyan Cat. It's (laughs) Nyan Cat. Nyan Cat. It just doesn't work with my accent. There we go. Nyan Cat um, sold... um, And again, this is the crazy thing. It's It's not like that's the only version of this right available on the internet it's just one that they've made fresh and they've minted it as an nft and they've sold it for 600 plus thousand dollars speaking of the 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 auction you were talking about dan uh i believe this is breaking as you record this episode of the podcast the artwork from i think beeple and christie's sold for yeah yeah, 60 plus million dollars i can't remember if you actually mentioned it already but uh, the it just happened, yeah. It just happened, and it yeah it oh ended right uh, after ten a.m. Wow. Eastern, and it was sixty point two five million, so sixty and a quarter million. Oh, hang on, sixty nine, sixty nine million, sixty nine million three hundred and forty six. I we're in the wrong career, friends. I know. Listen, wow. as we report on things like YouTubers and uh, social media influencers just getting like millions of dollars just for, you know, live blogging and everything that requires work. That's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, speculating on digital objects just because and the only reason you could do that is because you're already rich enough to kind of get into this is that is that is I feel like the final straw for me. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is to a certain extent driven by um, by wealthy people and certainly people who um, who maybe have cash floating around because maybe they did win big, um, you know, in the crypto boom over the last year. Maybe they've, you know, mm-hmm. they've been holding on to, to GameStop stock and have ridden that wave. And now they want to put it in something where it'll appreciate far greater value over a longer period of time. And to a certain extent, that's the same with anything that's you know a high end investment product. The the rich people are going to get there first and put a tiny amount of their wealth in, 
And if it's a success, then they're going to reap the rewards five or ten years down the line. I think my ultimate takeaway from this is it just feels like as somebody who's read a lot of dystopian science fiction and, you know, watched a lot of sci-fi movies, this feels like a dumb aspect of the world from idiocracy that we could not have seen coming, right? This is just absolutely like, hey, guys, the world is on fire. What are we going to do? We're going to create more fire to power these, you know, these absolutely insane digital objects and digital currencies. I'm not sure. How do you feel about this, Dan? Like, you've seen this bubbling up. You have a financial background. Uh, How do you feel, like, about things right now? Um, So I think fundamentally it you could have seen this coming if you mm-hmm. thought about the big sort of the halo effect that bitcoins rally and then you know dorsey and musk and you know people like that suddenly really throwing the attention into it because they've taken something that really until last year was still i would say something that was on the fringes of acceptable discussion mm-hmm. you know and now when you've got a company like tesla already now a darling of Wall Street or becoming a darling of Wall Street, and now they're saying, oh, yeah, we're, we're sinking billions into Bitcoin, um, then obviously the interest would, would spread out to anything crypto. Um, in the same way, a couple of years ago, I, I forget the name, but there was this this um, company that made like juice and they changed their name to, was it Lipton, not Lipton iced tea, but something like Lipton iced tea <laughs> Bitcoin. And suddenly their the yeah. share price rocketed because investors were just uh, like, well, yeah, let's get in on that. And um, and they, they eventually got done by the SEC, but they still made a crazy amount of money, you know, because the stock price shot up. So I think um, things that are, that are Bitcoin adjacent, crypto adjacent, clearly were going to spark a lot of interest. In terms of how depressed it makes me... Um, I think with, like a lot of these things, it's whether the incentives are encouraging people to do socially responsible things. And I don't necessarily think that the incentives that that exist now are, but Mm -hmm. maybe there will be scope for, for ethical crypto in the future, but... I do think that until until we get to a system where people aren't encouraged to fly graphics cards, air freight, and Jeez. do all this and kind of buy buy power futures because they they know yeah. that they're going to get yeah. a, re- a reward for it, um, that we're we're going to be locked in this spiral for a way longer. And Charlene, I feel like you've heard some things from your financial friends, too, about how they're approaching this, probably to, yeah. a little more gleefully. Yeah. To, I mean, gosh, to... to- <laughs> Yeah, to obviously prepare for this episode, I was like reaching out to some of my fintech friends and I it was hella confusing. I was just like, I, I need a basic explainer. And they were like, yeah, don't buy meme. And I was like, huh? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, give me the simplest explainer. My friend was like, well, here's this here's the simple explainer. There's a huge bull market in crypto land. It's created a new generation of wealth. These individuals or mm-hmm. with new wealth want to hedge their wealth with diversification and then they end up buying other stuff and some of these other stuff it's nfts and there's traditional stuff like we've mentioned like the nba top shot stuff but there's also crazy stuff like meme so meme is a platform from my understanding this is possibly flawed understanding but 
meme is a platform for people to sell stuff as NFTs or sell their NFTs or something. And people pay with Ethereum. And it started with art, but now it's anything like Dorsey's first tweet. So, I mean, that was a good explainer, I guess, right? But uh, it took good. it took yeah. me a while to get to like, what? Like the first 10 minutes of my conversation with my friend was like, what? And then I somehow got introduced to like some of the bigger players in in NFTs. I'm just like... I was looking for an explainer and someone who could talk about yeah. this. And somehow you found yourself in a boardroom on the 100th floor you know, <laughs> of a skyscraper somewhere. Could be. Could totally. Uh, how did I get here? Totally in the how inner circle now, which I'm going to sell yeah. as an NFT soon. I'm selling the inner circle. I'm thinking circle. The, the end of the first episode of Mr. Robot. You've encountered the people who now run the world <laughs> and it's all about NFTs, baby. Dan, thank you so much for this explainer help. Uh, anything you kind of want to wrap this up with or anything you're working on that you want to tell us about? Do you know what? I will wrap this up by saying one thing. And um, like everything, this does not constitute financial advice. Um, And I'm certainly not qualified (laughs) to give it. But what I will say is this. With a lot of these schemes, not schemes, with a lot of these things right now, the hope is that everyone is going to pay a little bit of money and then pass it on because they don't want to be the ones left holding the money or holding the NFT when the -hmm, whole thing comes mm -hmm. crashing down. So don't forget that a lot of people who are buying and selling now are looking for a sucker. Don't be the sucker. So let's, let's run away from NFTs and the world of everything crypto, please. And let's talk about uh, things that are a little more tangible. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, how, how tangible is a billion-dollar acquisition? Microsoft's $7.5 billion ZeniMax acquisition is officially finalized. That means they officially own all of the Bethesda studios, including id Software, Arcane, and Bethesda Game Studios and all of that. That is you know, it's something we've talked about. It is kind of wild that... Uh, Microsoft now officially owns the company behind the Elder Scrolls. You know, um, what else? So many other games. Uh, The upcoming Deathloop, which is a PlayStation exclusive. That is going to be a PlayStation exclusive game now being delivered by a company owned by Microsoft. It's all very confusing, but um, it sounds like more Bethesda games are going to be heading to Game Pass soon. And Microsoft is definitely saying that, uh, oh, yeah, new games will be exclusive to Xbox and PC players. So sorry, PlayStation fans. Uh, The war of exclusivity is continuing, and uh, I think it's going to get kind of bloody because Bethesda is a huge, huge studio. Um, I'm excited to see where all this goes. I don't know if you have any feelings about these games, Dan. Do you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just say that I think I I know that Microsoft is saying that a lot of them are gonna be Xbox exclusives, but I have a strong feeling that they're gonna yep. keep um supplying PlayStation games as well. Purely because A from an antitrust perspective, um the idea that you buy up like a really big third party supplier of games and you block off your mate your competition, that sounds uh questionable to me. But also I think um, it's a great way for Microsoft to make money and make the money back from from this acquisition sure, because sure. they can they can burn cash on all access uh, and give some of these games away for free as part of its the subscription mm-hmm. model that it's building. But also, if if they're selling it to their competition and they have to, you know, they'll people will buy those games because you know there's some really exciting titles in that lineup and certainly Elder for Scrolls. Sure. 
you know, has, has been re-released on every single platform for years. So I think it's, it's good business. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we could probably see like a year or two of exclusivity from some of those games because it's kind of what we saw with some games that were exclusive to Sony and PlayStation for a while and eventually ended up on other platforms. That's that's probably the best way to make this business work out. So that'll be really interesting to see. But hey, Microsoft finally has more original games under its uh, banner, which is something we've been complaining about for a long time. Shirlin, you want to talk about something new from Instagram, right? There's a whole bunch of news in the land mm-hmm. of social media. We can start with Instagram Lite, I believe was announced this week. Uh, it's a two megabyte version of the Instagram app. We're two no, megabytes? Yeah, we're no stranger to like light versions of apps, right? But Instagram Lite. And Facebook, yeah, yeah. Uh, I see that Dan wrote the, the news story about this. Dan, do you want to explain Instagram Lite? So uh, broadly speaking, it's just Microsoft's uh, way of compressing Instagram. Oh, sorry. Facebook. I'm I'm still drunk from breakfast, clearly. Uh, It's still um, Facebook's way of getting Instagram into countries where the, you know, the data service and the mobile technology isn't as advanced. Um, The real sort of secret source to it is that almost all of it is happening on Instagram servers and then it's being sort of pushed through to the Instagram app on people's phones, but it's uh, it's it's still a very um, surprising piece of engineering that they've managed to get, even if it is a wrapper, just two megabytes. And I'm all for app developers really working hard on making mobile apps more and more efficient. So I think it's a good thing. It sounds uh, familiar to me because Google done a lot of this with like Android Go versions of a lot of the base apps on Android. So this seems to be a trend to like make apps lighter, at least the ones that people use most often and most heavily. Um, but I there's, mean, there, there was Facebook Lite, there was Messenger Lite, yeah. right? So this is familiar this is, for them. This is yeah. in line with that, uh, not just Google and Facebook's been doing it too. Uh, but mm-hmm. other other social media, social network news, let's start with uh, Instagram's parent company, Facebook. Uh, longtime listeners of the podcast may remember that a while ago we talked about how the FTC decided to change its mind about Facebook's acquisition of WhatsApp and Instagram, saying it was anti-competitive. Mm-hmm, so this mm-hmm. week, Facebook announced <laughs> that it's counter counterfiling, yeah. uh, and it wants those charges. Th- they're dismissed. like, "How about no? Yeah. How about no? We just say no." To that, what you're yep, saying. That's huh? the short version of that story, basically. So, yeah, sorry. But uh, I, I think there's kind of a juicy quote in here, too, where uh, the uh, I'm going to try to find the right person who said, who, who said this, but mm-hmm. I think it's just mm-hmm. Facebook wrote in this news in this statement. But it says, we believe the government should be denied the do-over it seeks, which... <laughs> It's not wrong. Like, I don't think it's, it's basically the government is asking for a do-over, right? Like that part, I don't feel like it's wrong. But it also turns out things change and businesses change and Facebook's audience, you know, exploded too since, uh, since a lot of this happened. Mm. Like, yeah, I don't know, like, what do you think about this from the antitrust side of things, uh, Shirlin and Dan, but it's, it's, it doesn't seem like the stuff exists in a vacuum, right? Especially since all these technologies and networks move so quickly, everything grows so quickly now. Yeah. I mean, we continually ask for more regulation on this podcast of big companies like Facebook. And this mm-hmm, is the mm-hmm. government maybe catching on if a little late or slow to the fact that mm-hmm. these are massive, massive companies with huge amounts of power. So it's just tricky, right? Yeah. Like with the timing of this. Uh, I don't know if Dan from from the UK has a different perspective. The interesting thing. Um, so I spoke to an antitrust lawyer about this and a couple of other big antitrust cases uh, late last year and, and 
he basically explained that, um, you know, you don't necessarily need the do-over because if you can find now that there is a company with a dominant market position and it is abusing mm-hmm. that dominance, then there doesn't need... You don't need to do anything more than prove those two things, and you've got enough of a case for the FTC to start pursuing you. So, um, however things have changed, I don't think Facebook is very sassy, but I don't necessarily think SAS is going to provide a strong enough defense because I think the the current administration has really, really put a lot of smart, big antitrust people into sort of leadership positions, and the consequence is there's going to be a lot more of this and Facebook's going to need a lot stronger defense than just you don't get no do-overs. Yeah, to be clear, some of the the wording here, Facebook's lawyers were saying that the FTC has not alleged facts amounting to a plausible antitrust case. They're just saying there's not enough evidence. There's, you know, this these are, are coming from a fraught environment of relentless criticism of Facebook for matters entirely unrelated to antitrust mm-hmm. concerns. That's what Facebook is saying. Yeah. Look, we have some time until the FTC and the state <laughs> attorney generals have to respond to Facebook's motions to dismiss. They have until mm-hmm. April to respond. We're going to be following this for a while, it seems like. Yeah. Uh, so. well, a, a couple of things to add here, right? Like this this antitrust filing came from when we were under the Trump administration. Yes, I was going to say. And now, yeah, we're now in a completely different place. But also, we've written about how the Biden administration has brought on people like uh, Tim Wu mm. and Lena Khan and people who are no, like Wu, who basically created the term net neutrality, right? People who think deeply and have a lot of concerns about how we're handling tech and Lena Khan in particular is all about breaking up big tech companies because she thinks we are thinking of uh, antitrust and monopolies in completely wrong ways. So this is going to be interesting. I think this is going to be a really interesting year to see how Facebook fights this and other charges are going to be coming from the government. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone else has anything to add to Facebook before I move on to the next social media thing on the list. But Please, uh, please. <laughs> Uh, we, let's round out the big three, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, had some news this week too. It's testing full-size image previews finally, because if you've oh been my God. following this, if your picture is not at the right aspect ratio, you post it to uh-huh. Twitter, it'll be cropped in. And in the past, it's been proven or shown that, in, <laughs> that Twitter's cropping, image cropping algorithms are racist. Which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. wow. So it's testing like this is part of I think part of the attempt to address some of this like racism in its in its algorithms. Um, but yeah, it's nice to see some some work there. There's also I mean our producer Ben is uh, also mentioning that this also ruins those tweets where you want to click through to see the full picture for a surprise. And exactly. Yeah. Sorry, I guess like um, you, you can't make everybody happy. Yeah, <laughs> I, I wish I wish Twitter were able to implement a function where you could choose the preview uh, where it is or, or what you, you know, probably like. will be able to. But then, yeah, then you lose the the ability to just like say everybody will see this uh, big surprise image. Yeah, or no, choose the part of the picture mm. that will show up mm. first as that preview, and then they mm-hmm. can still click mm-hmm. through to see the full. Like it's a functionality like a thumbnail. Yeah. that may just yeah. make it a little 
like harder to load the page at some point. I mm-hmm. don't know. Um, but here we go. Twitter <laughs> is also working on things. So Landa, lots of social media updates this week. Poor Carissa. Poor Carissa. Uh, Carissa Bell, our hardworking social media reporter. <laughs> uh, you know, send her some shout outs on, oh, yeah. on your social Just media platform it. of choice because she deserves it. Yes. Let's move on to some actual gadgets. Yeah, uh, lots Sonos. of them. <laughs> Sonos had an actual announcement this year, a company that doesn't really produce many products, right? Like, it's very rare that we get new Sonos hardware, but they announced the Sonos Roam, Mm -hmm. which is a $169 speaker that is both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And uh, it's interesting that this is coming from Sonos, right? Mm -hmm. Because over the past decade, we've seen things like uh, the Jawbone Jambox uh, make Bluetooth speakers super popular, Mm -hmm. wireless Bluetooth speakers. Jawbone died, uh, but other companies, pretty much every single company that can make a speaker has made a Bluetooth speaker. I'm a big fan of Logitech's Ultimate Ears boom lineup and the Mega Boom and all that. I have a JBL. Um, So this is, exactly, Sonos is getting into that market. It's $169, which is almost twice as much as what you'd pay for comparable speakers from other companies, but Sonos has a lot going for it. This will be a speaker that's a part of its... um, it's network. So if you have Sonos speakers in your home and you want to spread your sound all throughout your house, the speaker can accept that. It can uh, move between Wi-Fi and Bluetooth seamlessly. Mm-hmm. It can pair with another speaker for stereo sound. I believe you can even like tap it to a Sonos speaker, like bring it right. No, you can hold the play button uh, to kind of bring over what you're listening mm-hmm. to from this speaker to your Sonos, to your other Sonos speakers. There's a lot going on here. I kind of want to play with this, uh, but I've also been tempted to get the Sonos Move, which is the 399 one that is kind of a bigger speaker that is both good in your home and then you can lug it out to your backyard or something. So this is like a smaller, more portable version of the Move, maybe? Sort of. Sort of. I, I feel like maybe the way you think of it is like the Move is a speaker that is sounds good, is really meant to be at home, mm. but you could take it around and go, you know, take it to a picnic or something. Mm. This is a speaker that is more meant to be on the go, but you could always bring it home and listen to it with the other okay. stuff too. So it's kind of like the inverse Just relationship. Because move but, and roam are yeah. synonyms, but okay. <laughs> Almost yep. synonyms. Yep. But uh, I think they're getting they're kind of getting into the uh <laughs> the limitations of their naming <laughs> scheme right now. But yeah, I think it's cool. I may just get one of these to uh to play with, but I'm also tempted by the Sonos move. So I I don't know. Do you guys have feelings about these speakers or any of these things? It's good to have wireless speakers. They're super useful. I'll just quickly jump in and say that I think Sonos is known for its audio quality and I think that's what yes. people are excited by, uh, to get maybe hopefully similar quality in such a small package. But I I mean, Dan, if you have any thoughts. Mm-hmm. Put it this way, I think this is probably $110 too expensive. Because frankly, if, if I'm <laughs> if I'm out at a picnic, I wanna take I am not taking a one hundred and seventy dollar sonar speaker out with me to a picnic. I'm gonna take the anchor, like a forty-five dollar anchor that is loud enough. <laughs> the cheapest one has possible. battery yeah. life, and if someone steals yeah. it or it gets um smashed up, I'm not gonna be very sad about that. There's no way I'm buying you you are a, a wise man Sonos. yeah there's no way mm-hmm. <laughs> totally a portable sonos yeah this market has driven basically to nothing so quickly so that's why bluetooth speakers have gotten so cheap and i think why it took so long for sonos to kind of figure out a way to get in here but it'll be interesting to see where we go from here yeah Anyhow, lots of other hardware news. I think that like the core and gadget audience will be familiar with what I'm about to tell you all, but this has been, you know, uh, 
hardware week, right? Sure. First, we had the Asus ROG or ROG uh, Phone 5. ROG. ROG Phone 5. Uh, Republic which of Gamers is a phone. Gaming, yeah. Yeah, it's a mobile gaming device. It's a gaming phone. It uses uh, the what Snapdragon 888, which is Qualcomm's most high-end chipset and not the other high-end chipset that they announced a little bit later in the year. Anyway, uh, this is the 5, not the 4. Uh, the last phone was a Rock Phone 3, but they skipped <laughs> 4 because, you know, in Chinese, 4 sounds like death. Anyhow, ah. Rock Phone 5 <laughs> and Rock Phone 5 Ultimate, uh, 6.78-inch phones with AMOLED displays, high refresh rates, same uh, 144 hertz as before. But basically, the improvements mm-hmm. here are not only is the screen about 23% brighter, there's also like a quad DAC for better audio. Uh, improved yeah. air triggers, everything that I guess a mobile gamer is looking for, perhaps. It also looks a lot less ugly than the last few <laughs> ROG phones. So this is, you know, this is pretty cool. My question for you guys, by the way, do you think there will be an iPhone 13? I feel like we're gonna uh, we're numbers. gonna lose that number entirely, right? They're gonna switch to like it's a gotta letter. be something else. They're gonna be like yeah. iPhone forward. That's <laughs> I, put, I put money. It will be iPhone forward and iPhone. F- 5T and and something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not going to let you name any products you're like. <laughs> they should hire whoever names LG products to, to name their devices. Oh, God. The or, no, iPhone The person whoever names the... I've, I've made fun of this before on our Slack, but whoever names Acer products, um, try looking up an Acer monitor because oh. it's literally just a string of... Of consonants <laughs> that don't make any sense. Like the 5GTWRF. NXBT is, is definitely 170 an or something. Yeah, it's it's great. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> well, hey, shout out. What do you think the next iPhone is going to be called? Because yeah. I, I would bet. I would put money. It's never going to be iPhone 13. I'm going to go for 12S. Uh, what else is coming on? 12S. Uh, yeah. You're, I think that's the 12S. right one. And then followed by... I feel, weren't the rumors... The rumors were that this would be the full remaster, like the big redesign, because we got 5G this year, right? And yeah. Didn't, they didn't really change much. But yeah, what else is going on, Trillin? Well, uh, the, we're talking about iPhone 12s. We're looking at <laughs> the competitor to, Sam, uh, to Apple, which is Samsung, which announced this week that next week there will be an unpacked event yet another one because we haven't had enough samsung events this year uh (laughs) it is called the awesome unpacked which is coincidentally the title of my autobiography in progress um it's going to be on march 17th and let me actually get that date right i'm pretty sure but uh march 17th and uh, people are suspecting that it will be about who knows uh i had someone on my i can't i i I, obviously i know but (laughs) someone Uh on my twitter uh asked uh is this for a note or is this for whatever and there's there's some there's some guesses going around i will say though you all should just come to engadget.com for our live stream because me and Chris Velasco will be watching it with you guys. We'll have a pre-show, a post-show. So mark your calendars. Um, But yeah, you know, Samsung event coming up, aka more phones, which, you know, we always say that Samsung doesn't make enough phones, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we need more Samsung choices. And uh, something's happening with (gasps) OnePlus too, right? Yes, uh, OnePlus is also hosting an event. Uh, the Samsung event, by the way, is March 17th at 10 a.m. Eastern, so you should come to the Engadget YouTube channel around 9.30 a.m. Eastern. Um, yes, yeah, so the other thing is OnePlus has announced that it is going to be uh, showing off the OnePlus 
nine. That's where we are at now. One plus nine and nine pro. I was like, is it five? No, it's nine. Uh, it's just a ten. Oy, oy. It's just one plus nine. One plus nine equals ten. There we go. Uh, nine and nine pro. Yeah. The the big selling point or the big attention grabber here is that One Plus has been teasing its collaboration with Hasselblad for a while now, uh, which harkens back to the days when I think it was Huawei that was working with Leica or Leica um, uh-huh. to uh-huh. make cameras on their phones better. And uh, you know that's been always one of the complaints against the One Plus flagships is that their cameras just not cannot compare to iPhones and and pixels mm-hmm. and even galaxies so this might uh, might might be what it needs because huawei's cameras did get a bit better after they teamed up with Leica. so we'll see uh but i don't know dan i know you covered huawei for a bit for us too are you excited for the oneplus with hasselblad collaboration oh tremendously i i will be <laughs> i will be unable to sleep waiting for this handset to come out <laughs> OnePlus has a Sorry. OnePlus has a rabid fan base, and I'm not not surprised slash surprised you're part of that. But OnePlus has a lot of fans who will be very very stoked to see this. But yeah, hardware mm. season. Next episode of the podcast is going to be very interesting. And uh, just FYI, mm. OnePlus's event is going to be on March 23rd. So stick around for that. One thing I want to say to you, Sherlyn, is uh, happy birthday. There, were, there was a major birthday this week for a platform that I don't really love, but hey, Update, 10 years Updates old. from Google Land, a.k.a. Sherlyn's time to speak to, uh, to prove that she's an Android slash Google girl. Uh, Chrome OS mm-hmm. celebrated its 10th birthday this week. It was on Tuesday and, uh, you know, happily announced a bunch of updates, which almost amount to a redesign um, to the platform. So Chrome OS is getting, oh boy, a new phone hub. Uh, so it's like a little dashboard at the bottom right of your screen that shows you your phone indicators, mm-hmm. like Wi-Fi, cellular connection, battery life, whatever. And you can see your recent Chrome tabs from your phone on the Chromebook too, which I thought was kind of nice. You can also ping your phone from your Chromebook to find it if you've misplaced it. Uh, there's some other features like nearby share. You know what? I wrote it on Monday. I can't remember anymore. All of them. But <laughs> there's a lot. That's basically it. Lots of new stuff came for Chrome OS. I am shocked that it has been 10 years yes, since we've had these devices. And I think it's been a series of ups and downs. I remember when these were announced, I was like, oh, yeah, cheap, cheap mm-hmm. computers, mm-hmm. right? Give me more cheap computers. They're basically web browsers because that's basically all we're doing. Since then, Chrome OS devices have become really big in schools because they've been cheap. But also, they, uh, companies keep pushing premium Chrome yeah. OS devices. And that is the thing that just makes remember me the Pixel book? physically angry. <laughs> I do remember the Pixel, but I actually have one back here somewhere. Um, I, okay. But yeah, premium <laughs> does not work for Chrome OS. I, yeah. I will say, like, if you want all the updates that they're announcing, the article is live on Engadget. But I was reminded of one uh, feature that actually got me quite excited. It's called Tote. Um, it's this little place mm-hmm. that you have easy access to from the launcher, and you can store all your like pertinent files in there that you maybe regularly look at or stuff like that. It will also store the last five things that were saved in your clipboard, so screenshots, for example, or your whatever you copied. Um, and I, I, I mean, I think that's cool. For me, I'm always looking at like embargo docs that I open and then close, open and then close, and then I'm like, shit, I need oh, crap. I need to um, <laughs> look at that press release again or that spec sheet again when I'm doing a review. Yeah. So. I find Tote like a useful thing that I have yet to see on other operating systems, but 
Otherwise, a lot of these updates feel like catching up to Windows, to macOS, like uh, uh, the virtual desktops and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, Chrome OS is growing up. It's a teenager. is getting is starting to be a teenager. So it's about to get... Or a preteen. Pre it's going to be a preteen soon. And uh, we know those yeah, are the best years. a couple years. years until all that does is talk back to us and roll its exactly. eyes. I am not looking forward to that. Sassy Chrome. Let's move on to what we've been working on. Just want to do a quick shout out. I am writing up a quick guide of accessories that you would probably want to get for your OLED TV. So... A lot of cool suggestions there. Uh, I think bias lighting is pretty cool. Um, you know, sound bars and all the usual stuff. But, you know, let me know specifically too. at me on Twitter or wherever. Shoot us a note at podcastinggadget.com if you have any other OLED tips because I could probably still fit some things in there. Uh, Sholin, what are you working uh, on? Lots of, lots of stuff. I'm going to just try to focus in addition to secret meetings that I can't tell you all about, but y'all can guess probably. And one of them I'm actually pretty excited about and you'll hear about it soon. Oh boy. Uh, and interviews on this topic that I'm researching right now uh, and South by Southwest preparation. I've already shouted out the Samsung mm-hmm. event, and the OnePlus event. Those are the things that are going to be taking up some of my time from this week until the end of my life at March. Until March, until until March but yeah. you know. Being dramatic for effect. You know, yes. <laughs> whenever all the digital currencies use up oh, the no. entire, all of our fossil fuels, that's how long we have. Dan, anything else you're working on that you want to shout out? I, uh, It's top secret. Uh, I can't tell you, but I'm very excited about it. Mm. But I don't think anyone else will be, but I'm excited. Very that's cool. the most important thing. Uh, so it must be about the hyperloop dan's favorite gadget uh his most beloved gadget yeah money yeah i i would i would bet money it's about hyperloop but we shall we'll see let's move on to our pop culture picks um i want to shout out a series i've been catching up on uh called search party uh it was it originally started airing on tbs but it's actually all now on hbo max um, it is a weird show and I kind of, kind of dig it. It is sort of like, it is like a comedy about hipsters in New York, except they get into like, uh, searching for a missing girl and then it sort of turns into like a murder mystery type thing too. Um, I'll be honest. I'm really just watching this cause I miss the hell out of New York and it is really fun to like dive into shows where People were back walking around the streets and going to restaurants and doing cool things. But, uh, you know, has a great cast. I love Alia Shawkat. Um, I think it is so unique and so funny. It's also, like, co-created by Michael Showalter. So it has, like, some of the funny bits of his, like, improv comedy, too. Um, so, yeah, check out Search Party. It's on HBO Max. I kind of love the fact that a lot of these shows that were on obscure networks or just not super popular networks are now in a single place for people to binge and uh, it's well worth checking out. Shirlin, I feel like you have something to talk about <laughs> that Dan can probably relate to. I uh, just want to say that I've heard a lot about Search Party. I've never watched it, but maybe because uh, I should, it's really I good. should maybe yeah. pay attention to Devendra's recommendations every now and then because I did this last week. I finally, and I've always uh-huh. been meaning to, but I finally got around to watching Ted Lasso and people who follow me on Twitter. Yes. Know yes. I have yes. fallen into a deep, deep, dark hole of Ted Lasso and biscuits and uh, football <laughs> songs, which I've always hated. I've always hated those football player songs because they're annoying as hell. But now I find myself singing Jamie Tart to the tune of Baby Shark. Um, oh, boy. But yes, Ted Lasso has been a beacon of joy. It's won a whole bunch of awards this awards season. Golden Globes, Critics' Choice. Well-deserved. Very yeah. well-deserved. 
such a hopeful, beautiful show, like Devendra said. But since he's already recommended it on the show, and as much as I'd like <laughs> to go on and maybe just keep talking to Dan and our other UK uh, teammates about this show, we will take that offline mm-hmm. and uh, spare you from that on this <laughs> podcast. We, sure, sure. But sure. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I will say, say, by the way, it is a show that's... The thing about a good comedy show is that the jokes and everything is just so dense. Yeah. And this is a show that really rewards repeat yes. viewing too. So even though it's like... It's very. It's not a very long show. It's what ten yeah, episodes. Yeah. Episodes. So. Um. Yeah. Like you can. You'll go back like, and rewatch, and you will find jokes that you missed. The let first me just time, tell you sure. how. First, I'm super deep in the Ted Lasso hole, so I've been on the subreddit already. Just finished <laughs> all of the subreddit posts, but I also was uh-huh. talking to Aaron Sapores, our executive editor, and he was telling me he uh, lives. I believe is either from or lives in Croydon. Croydon's team is Crystal Palace. The team in the show is AFC Richmond. AFC Richmond uses a different stadium than the one they're actually using in the show, which I wasn't aware Mm. of until Aaron pointed it out to me. Now, if you're here for hard facts (laughs) like this, watch the spinoff podcast called Sherlyn, Aaron, Dan, and Matt Talk Ted Lasso with tech involved. Dr. Lasso. Well, speaking of Ted Lasso podcast, I did, uh, I guessed it on a Ted Lasso podcast called Lasso Cast, yeah. which I think right now is probably going to be really hard to SEO oh, for. No. Like, it's, yeah, you're going to always end cowboys. up with just IMDb listings. Yeah. But I talked about the finale of the show with them for like two hours. So that was fun. Yes. I love the show. Check it out. What else? Yeah, okay. So <laughs> I decided to go. I'm trying to keep it uh-huh. like manageable. Uh-huh. So I'm going to blaze through some of these. I decided to make it a Brit themed. A set of recommendations this week. Oh, no. Yeah, there's a lot. There's, oh, no. there's a lot coming. Well, after I saw um, Ted Lasso, I was like, I want something still heartwarming and stuff. So I wanted to see another Jason Sudeikis thing. I made the mistake of watching Colossal on Hulu. Yeah, great Anne movie. Hathaway and Jason Sudeikis. But not, yep. not, Jason Sudeikis is not heartwarming, not nice in it whatsoever. That's actually the movie that I think does a great job of uh, tip of, like, really getting to the heart of what I used to think of Jason Sudeikis <laughs> of just like this kind of smarmy asshole. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Colossal is very good. It's on it Hulu is right good. Now. Uh, watch it if you want like a good strange monster flick, but that it's really just more drama than it is science fiction and monster uh, and, and more about I th- it's uh, it's a really interesting twist on the typical the kaiju yeah. formula in a way that makes it very and uh, fresh. It is directed by somebody I love Nacho Vigalondo. Mm. All of his movies are yes. fantastic. So, so it's yeah. on Hulu, but I, I was like, okay, never mind. And then I wanted to keep watching mm-hmm. uh, more British people talk at me. So I actually ended up, <laughs> uh, and this is not, this is not by any means something people don't know about. Last week tonight with John Oliver, which I freaking have loved uh-huh. for years and years, and it's won all kinds of awards, but I have been catching up on, hey, U.S. history uh, and, and U.S. issues because I skipped the news all of last year. And so now I'm catching up on news from last year via John Oliver. He does a really good job of explaining a lot of like difficult concepts. And I think watching his show every week instead of trying to do the catching up and research yourself could be an easy way for you to get informed. Uh, and the writing's dynamite. It's good. It's a good. Yeah, show. it's a really good show. I love this segment that they do called And Now, where they pull the weirdest moments from internet and TV and they just compile it. And it's great. Yeah. Uh, finally, my last British thing recommendation. I want to do like a proper recommendation that people might not know. People on this podcast might have heard me talk about a little show I love, love with my whole life called Torchwood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh-huh. Devendra, we've oh. talked about Torchwood. We have. We have talked about Dan, Torchwood. Dan, yeah. I think even we have talked about, talked about Torchwood. 
we've talked well I was at Yanto's uh, shrine and I sent you a picture and it went to the wrong phone and Yanto. like six months later you were like why Why are you sending me this uh, that's yeah that that definitely was a surprise but I will receive your Yanto pictures yeah. anytime uh, Torchwood is a why are you watching Torchwood it's done Trillin well, why but th- this is just a recommendation for people who might not have heard of it before because it's still somewhat obscure every now and then I don't know it's a, it's a more adult Doctor know. Who have we actually talked about this we might have more adult we, we have talked about this. Uh, so, by the way, my favorite Torchwood-esque memory is uh, one of my early Comic-Cons, so it was probably like 2009, 2010, was walking, uh, basically confronted John Barrowman Ugh. as he was stepping out of uh, uh, of an elevator. It looks like he just got off his 12-hour flight <laughs> for, from the UK. So he's like, what floor is this? Huh? I'm like, it's okay, buddy. Like, just get back in there. <laughs> and I directed him to the right spot. But that is the joy of Comic-Con. You just Definitely. run into these people. Definitely. Uh, and uh-huh. yeah, so Torchwood is a really great science fiction series. It's short. It's tight. Watch just the first three seasons. Maybe up till Children of Heaven. <laughs> just the first three. Just the first three. You're good. <laughs> Everything else that happened after, I don't I don't know if it's necessarily canon. I don't know. But uh, yeah, the okay. science fiction TV. Torchwood is one of those. One of the good ones. Dan. Anything you want to shout out, Dan? Yeah. Yes. Uh, do you know what? I really want to talk about Ted Lasso because I haven't had... I, I, <laughs> I want to say this. I'm sorry. Um, so I did yes. the preview of yes. Ted Lasso. I, I basically fought Devendra. I was like, no, I'm, <laughs> I want to do the preview. And um, Apple sent over... This is a little bit inside oh. baseball, but Apple sent over the first three episodes mm. for me to watch. And I remember Ooh. watching it, okay. watching mm-hmm. it thinking... Okay, this the first episode, the end of the first episode, I'm like, oh, okay, so they've taken this two-dimensional character and they've made him sad yeah. for reasons. And yeah. and I thought it, it was amusing, but it's not until you get to the end of that third episode and then it kind of the camera sort of pans out and you sort of s- spend mm-hmm. time with the other characters and things start to warm up. And yeah. then the day before my review went up, and in fact, it was written and ready. They then put out the next three episodes, and then I Ooh, watched them. Okay, and, and, but I but like the the deal was that you review the first three, and then I watched the next three, and I realized that I'd actually done the show quite dirty because I said <laughs> it was it was good. I remember that as we were talking yeah. about it. Um, yeah, yeah. And I I remember saying, you know what? It's my expectations going in were so low, and the fact that it doesn't sure. It doesn't whiff and it, you know, it's fine. And in fact, it's not until you get to like the fourth episode and then you realize that there are layers upon layers uh, upon layers. And actually the show is way better than I think it, it has any right to be, given that it's it's like, you know, a character from, a, exactly. from an advert yeah. that's been turned into a sitcom. It and, is kind of a... I, th- I think we occasionally run into these things called like miracle shows, right? Like just <laughs> yeah. the elements yeah. coming together. Like this should not work. But I also think like you look at um, the show is co-created by Bill Lawrence, a guy I love. He did Scrubs. He did Cougar Town. I love I, I Cougar don't think Town he can make so a bad much. Show. Oh um, 
he's always done a great job of balancing comedy and even like slapstick stuff with real drama, real emotion. And this show is just like the distilled version of what he's always done. So, so well. I, just to yeah. point out, like to echo kind of what Dan said, but maybe like uh, more with more from the show stuff, I guess uh, not to spoil it for anyone, but there are moments in the show where like <laughs> there are, it builds up to what seems like a common trope where like either uh, yeah. this little seed of drama is sowed and you expect it to bloom mm-hmm. one way where like maybe a little piece of potential tension between two characters is planted. So the coach mm-hmm. character and like their star player character, there's a p- hint of potential drama brewing. But the show sidesteps that typical plot altogether and just buries it for a little bit and then resurfaces it in like three episodes later in a totally different way mm-hmm. where it actually gives you mm-hmm. room for character growth and it makes you just there's no moment there's so many moments during the show where i'm like oh no this is going to come back and bite them in the butt but actually it doesn't in the way that i expected it it comes back in a very rewarding and like oh this character has grown so much kind of way and i freaking love that for sure, for sure. It is a rare show where everybody's like emotionally mature in a way yeah, too. Like yeah. that's kind of how everything happens. Not everyone, yeah, yeah. but like most people, most people most are. People, most They're people, open yeah. to learning. But it handles yeah. most situations in a mature way. I don't think there's like, there, even the people you kind of hate at the beginning yep. get nuanced and interesting. I think there's only one there's like one straight left. up yeah. villain <laughs> yep. who who is, yeah, who's a bad guy, but also he's played by really Anthony Stewart Anthony Head. Head or Heard, yeah. And just like, just like in pure pure like smarmy jerk face mode who for some reason looks even better than he did in Buffy so yeah I love that guy he's really fun to watch yeah and he's apparently a very a very nice person that's nice Uh, I just want to say um I don't know whether this has just hit HBO Max or whether it was sort of bubbling under for a while but I saw um someone pointed out that the thick of it is on HBO Max oh no the thick of it was on Hulu before this no yes (laughs) Okay, so, so I can't, so I can't deal with thick is, of it. No. Oh my god, the thick of it, the thick of it is Veep, but for smart people, because I, I hate Veep. I, I've really not been able to get on with Veep. Oh, uh, I love the thick of it so much. It is it, such a, a glorious. Mm-hmm. It's a glorious, such a, a a dense with jokes, dense with language. It is. It is such a funny show, but also it's a show that um, I don't really know how to explain it because it's. It's a show that is is a sitcom. It's the inner workings of British yeah, politics. But so, yeah. but the people are yeah. so bad. Everyone is such a dipshit yeah. character on there. Um, <laughs> my, much, main, yeah. my main issue with Think of It is mostly the use of shaky cam. I get nauseated very easily, and Think of It has a lot it's, of them. Yeah, that's, that's the style. And that's it for our episode this week, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening. Our theme music is by game composer Dale North. Our outro music is by our very own Terrence O'Brien. The podcast is produced by Ben Elman. You can find Devendra online at... At Devendra on Twitter, and I podcast about movies and TV at the Slash Filmcast at SlashFilm.com. And you can find Dan online at... Daniel W. Cooper on both Twitter and Instagram. If you want to send me awesome British things and food uh, I am at Sherlyn Lowe <laughs> on Twitter email us your thoughts and feedback at podcast at Engadget.com leave us a review please on iTunes and subscribe on anything that gets podcasts including Spotify you can tell I'm not a basketballist I'm sorry we don't have basketball in England <laughs>